0: Good morning. We're going to be in Genesis 46 and 47. So, if you, in your device or book, would you stand? I'm going to read a couple of verses. So, in chapter 46, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then 47, 11, and 12. And then we'll pray and we'll look at this next section of Joseph's life. So, Genesis 46, 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and ordered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel, or Jacob, in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you back up again And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Now in chapter 47 and verse 11. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their family. So, Lord, again, I'm praying that you would take these things that I have prepared, break them fresh, and feed us. For this time right now, we have ears to hear what the Spirit says, that we would be sensitive, Lord, to our own hearts and minds as you shine your word into them, that we might hear from you. And, Lord, again, our desire is that we would be obedient to you, that we would not be sort of just hearing some information, but you would transform us, this morning, even by the renewing of our minds that we might prove what is the good and perfect, acceptable will of God. So help us, Lord, bless this time now in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So who is your family is what I want to talk about this morning. We're talking about destiny through the the faith of Joseph, family, a couple of definitions, three of them, all the descendants of a common ancestor, secondly, a social group made up of parents and their children, and third, a group of people doing life together. So three things in this outline, we'll go back to them. Who is not your family? Now some of you are thinking, I know who I wish wasn't part of my family. (laughs) (laughs) Who was born into your family, and then who is with you as family? So I want to begin and end with some quotes from this book by Rod. Rod Draher, it's called The Benedict Option. He also wrote another book called Live Not By Lies*. This was written in 2018. The other one, Live Not By Lies*, was written in 2020. I'm finding it extremely challenging to how I'm living my life as a Christian. And so, this is not a wholesale endorsement of the book, but I will tell you it's been a challenge for me personally. And I think if you were to read it for you also, in the context of the things that we're going through and how am I living my life as a Christian. I think that's been challenged over and over in just the things we're going through. So first quote, he, he, he says here, one reason the contemporary church is in so much trouble is that religious conservatives of the last generation mistakenly believed they could focus on politics and the culture would take care of itself, unquote. Secondly, he goes on, Will the law, as written by a conservative legislature and interpreted by conservative judges, overwrite the law of the human heart? No, it will not. Politics is no substitute for personal holiness. The best that Orthodox Christians today can hope for from politics is that it can open a space for the church to do what the, do the work of charity, culture building, and conversion, unquote. So, who is not your family? I want to talk about family this morning with you. Look at chapter, we read in chapter 1, God saying, I'm God, I'm the God of your father. So, God's plan to redeem the world came through a special family for sure. And so, God is reiterating his promise through Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, And now to Jacob again, saying, I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you back up again. His promise was to give them that land. But it's interesting, he says, I'm going to take you down to Egypt, and there you're going to become a great nation. God's ways are not our ways. And so in verse 5, Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, And went to Egypt. So the whole family is making the move. No one's staying behind. Jacob and all his descendants with him his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him down to Egypt. So again, God's plan was promised through Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. He's reiterating again I will, I will, I will. But listen, let us never forget that Abraham was called specially by God because the whole of the human race was, is, and will always be very special to God. So who is, you, who is not your family? Now, Genesis 1:26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created man in his image, and then gave him dominion. Very special place in his creation. So the crowning of God's creation was when he made male and female. He he created Adam and Eve. The cursing of God's creation was when that male and female, Eve and then Adam, were tempted by the devil and sinned against God and the light of that image went out. A dark time. But let us also never forget That from the very moment Adam and Eve sinned, God promised to send a Savior, a seed, to reverse the curse of sin, redeem sinful man, and restore the very beauty of that image in his created, in human, in in the human race. So Genesis 3:15 says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed." He shall bruise your head, speaking about the devil, mortal wound, and you shall bruise his heel, the crucifixion. So the question, who is not your family? The answer is no one. We're all a part of the human race. In origin and identity, we were all created by God in his image. In origin and identity, we're, we all have the capacity to know God personally and intimately. But also, in origin and identity, we are all cursed sinners in need of a Savior. Would you say amen? Because there is a Savior. That's how we can say amen to that one. So God's promises are to all, and they fail no one who responds to them. God's promises are are to all Jews and Gentiles, freely and, and equal. Now, when I say Jew and Gentile, that was the summation of the human race as far as a Jew looked at it. It was the Jews, and it was the Gentiles. We'll come back to this in a minute, but this was a real stumbling block for the Jews. They looked down on the Gentiles as less human than themselves, but God's promises are to all people, regardless of race, color, creed, or culture. God's promises are to every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The Son of God, Jesus, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At the cross, we see the severity of our sin and condemnation, all of us. On the cross, Jesus atoned for our sin and provided for our pardon. Through the cross, God offers us forgiveness and righteousness. The message of the cross is this: By faith, anyone can receive God's gift of eternal life. The message of the cross is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the, why for the Jew first? Because through the Jewish nation, God brought the Savior. The message of the cross, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, not might, shall be saved. That is to all people through all ages of the human race. The gospel is the good news of God to all and on all who believe. So, no one is is excluded except those who exclude themselves through unbelief. The only ones, they choose through unbelief not to believe the gospel and thus exclude themselves, count themselves unworthy of salvation. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who believe it is the power of God. Would you say amen? It is the power of God unto salvation. What? The good news. We'll come back to that in a moment. Now, this was again a real stumbling block, not only to Jews, but to Saul of Tarsus, he was a devout and zealous Jewish rabbi who disdained every Gentile. He would have nothing to do with the Gentiles. In fact, he hated them with a vendetta that went out and acted on it. So listen to who used to be Saul of Tarsus, now Paul, the now Christian. He's preaching in a very Gentile pagan city called Athens. Listen to what he says Acts 17. Then Paul said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. So that Athens, they had all the idols you could ever imagine, and if they missed anyone, they had one to the unknown God, in case we missed one of them. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, him I proclaim to you, God. What? who made the world and every who creator God, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made, Look, notice verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries, of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in hopes that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So God put you where you are that you might know him. That's what Paul's preaching. And this God whom you don't know, the unknown God, let me tell you, he's creator, he's put you here, he's created you, and you're there that you might know him. So he goes on, for in him we live He's, he's quoting, quoting some philosopher here. In him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your poets have said, for we are, here it is, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, which is inanimate dead. We are, we're talking about a living God. Something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, now notice, truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now commands who? All men everywhere to repent. All men everywhere. The Jews are not an exception. They too must come in the same way. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, capital N, whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to how many? All by raising him from the dead. Now, read what Paul, the now Christian, wrote to the Gentile Corinthians. Verse 20 of chapter 1 in Second Corinthians. For all the powers of God in him are what? Yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you. He's saying us with you. He's establishing us with you in Christ And has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us, all of us, the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. To those who are saved, this is God's promise. Now, finally, look at what Paul, the now Christian, was called by God to do. This is amazing. It's the last person in the world you'd think he'd call to go to the Gentiles. He says, for this reason I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God given to me for you. Verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Now this is the last thing he would have ever thought God would ever do. But what he's saying is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through what? The gospel. Of which I became a minister Verse 8, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints. So Paul had gone from this place of thinking he's the man to realizing he's just a man, like everyone else. In fact, he looked at himself as being like, he's going, I used to think and now I see. I was blind, now I see. Huh. It's fantastic. This grace was given. Paul saw his life. As having been doused in the grace of God, the calling of God, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Then he, this is what he prays For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom, notice, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. They would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might. He would have never prayed one letter of this prayer except he came to know Christ and realize we're all a part of the human race and Jesus died for the world and we all have this promise to us through the gospel of experiencing what he's praying for and he's praying for the Ephesians that he would grant you according to Richard to be strengthened with might in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in what love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the wit And length and depth and height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. He's praying that for these people. Oh, to God be the glory. So the question this begs, who is the Gentile in your life? Who's the Jew in your life? I I say that typologically, typologically. Who are those who in my heart attitudes toward them are less than image bearers of God? The question, who is not in your family? The answer is no one. We're all a part of the family called the human race. Let me add these thoughts because in origin, identity, we're all created by God in his image. We will have the capacity to know God personally, intimately, and we're all cursed Needing a savior. So that being established now, and us as believers, for I hope most of us, if not all of us here, if you're not, we're praying, we always are praying that you will come to know Christ. You'll come to know this fantastic gospel and respond to it. But let me add these thoughts in no particular order. The gospel is clear and the gospel is simple. What is necessary for salvation can be known and understood by all people regardless of their background. Whatever our race, whatever our, our class, whatever gender, whatever ethnicity, the gospel speaks clearly and simply to the heart. We must preach the gospel with courage and boldness to every creature. Secondly, racism is the sin of partiality. Partiality goes from denying that certain human beings are made in the image of God to more subtle forms of mistreating or disdaining a person on the basis of the color of their skin. Whatever form, listen, it's the sin of partiality. So let each one of us examine ourselves in these matters. Three. Jew and Gentile Christians, all Christians, have already been reconciled to one another in Christ. That's what happened at the cross. When there is a specific act of sin, the offending party must repent, confess, and seek forgiveness. But apart from any specific sin, specific act of sin, no Christian needs to repent to confess, needs to repent or to confess to seek to be forgiven by any other Christian. That's been dealt with at the cross. We are not guilty and cannot repent for sins we have not committed. Number 4. A Christian's primary identity is in Christ, not our demographic group. As we read in the book of Acts, we just read it, God put us where he puts us that we might know him. He determined those things. Therefore, it is not sinful to have an ethnic, cultural, or national identity so long as we keep these in their proper importance. These things of ethnicity, culture, national identity are infinitely minuscule. Compared to our identity now in Christ. As we grow up in finding our identity in Christ, our freedom in Christ, so too, so too will we grow in our love because even our enemies then cannot define us. Five, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. According to the Bible, our thoughts, affections, and emotions have been corrupted by sin. So it is dangerous to just follow your heart. We must renew our minds by testing all things according to the Scriptures. Finally, we should always assume the best of others. We should be slow to judgment and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. There are individual mandates that make for a strong, forgiving, and loving community. And let me say this, the world is aching to experience it. Our fellowship, our unity. So secondly, who was born into your family? As you look at verses 8 through 26, you have all the family now that's come down. And I'll I'll leave you to figure the math out. But verse 27 says, and the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So he captured it. There's 70, this, this little family entourage is about 70 people. Now, who was born into your family? Children are a heritage from the Lord. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Now, following this verse, he gives his beloved sleep. What are you talking about? Children. Now, if there's anything that robs you of sleep, it's your children. (laughs) Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children, the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. And some of you would say, well, my quiver, my fullness is in the quivering (laughs) because of my children. Listen, no one gets to choose their relatives. Ugh. (laughs) And listen, you didn't get to, and they don't get to either. You're stuck with me. That's family. Children are a heritage from the Lord, but let me say this also children are also a heartache to the Lord. They're a heartache to us for the very same reason because we love them. They're our children. We love them so much that sometimes it really hurts. That's love, that's family. We love them so much that sometimes we can't even rest because we love them, and that's family. We love them. Sometimes it's so painful because there seems to be no closure, no answers. A why seems to hang, echoing, bouncing back between the walls of of our heart and mind. Why? Because we love them. That's family. As it turns out, our children are God's deepest means by which we understand his own heart yearning for us, hurting for us. As it turns out, our children are God's most powerful means by which we learn to let go and trust him with what is most precious to us. And we find that he is faithful. As it turns out, our children are God's means of giving us, as the psalm says, a rewarding heritage because, though difficult and painful, it's mingled with the smiles and the good memories that are unique to each one of them. Lost my place on my notes. There it is. Because of that, I know this and you know it. It is impossible to think of our lives without them. And I think that in this whole idea, we are given entrance into the very heart of God for us. If I can put it in here, in human terms, God never imagined a whole universe without you, without me. Psalm 8 O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth! who have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would visit him? And God visited us in the most profound way when he sent his son into the world. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Wow. As Max Lucado put it, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. (laughs) If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and sunrise every morning. Face it, friend. He's crazy about you. Unquote. As it turns out, we Christians were all born again into the family of God. Listen, this is nothing short of miraculous. Do you want to see a miracle in your life? Ta-da! You're looking at one, and I'm looking at many. It's miraculous. And God did it through the gospel, through our faith in him, and coming to him as our heavenly father. Father. But again, as it turns out, we still didn't get to choose our brothers and sisters. But may I, I don't know if this would be a reminder or a warning, we're going to be spending a lot of time together. It's called eternity. Now, we'll be vested, some of these things will be out of the way, which we'll be thankful for, but nonetheless, this quote, I love it, to live above with saints we love, now that will be glory, but to to live below with saints we know, now that's a whole different story. (laughs) But listen, that's family. That's family. Which brings me to my third point. Who is with you as family? Who is walking with you in your journey today? Today, Do you see that person as family? We get to chapter 46, and verse 28. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph. This is Jacob. Sends Judah. To point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, let me me read through verse uh, 34 and then I'll give you a couple ideas here. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a, a good while, you can just imagine. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who are in, who, who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And then You can just see the smile on his face before Pharaoh. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. They have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. And so it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. Notice, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Who is with you to point the way? That's family. Who is weeping with you in sorrow and in joy? That's family who will do whatever they can to take care of and help you. That's family. And I love this last idea. Who is not ashamed of who you are or what you do? That's family. That's family. As I think of these things, who are you walking with in their journey today? You see, family helps to point the way. Family weeps together in sorrow and in joy. Family does everything in its power to help. And family is not ashamed of who you are or what you do. Are you being family? Do you understand how powerful family is? We get to chapter 47. We find there in verse 1, Joseph went out. Went and told Pharaoh, and then we see in verse 5, then Pharaoh spoke to Jacob, and what did he say? He said, Make your, your sons the shepherds over my flocks. And I believe he's getting the best of the best. But here we so then in verse 7, Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? Verse 9. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Again, twice. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Here's what's going on here. Jacob was old. He had nothing left to prove. That's such a wonderful place to find. His life was difficult, yes. But God made him a blessing to those around him. To Pharaoh himself, the most powerful man in the world. Jacob was was a blessing. With family, there is tremendous blessing we must do diligence to recognize the blessing of God through those who have lived life, those who have nothing left to prove, those who have these treasures of wisdom and freedom and peace, huge blessing. And I think in our culture, they've sort of been slowly and slowly just hidden away when really they need to be right out front. Now, when you're talking to these older folks, you may have to repeat yourself or turn up the volume. You may have to wait a little while as they consider a wise response. But I say, repeat it, talk, wait. Now let me tell you about these because I don't know if I'm still in denial or not, but basically I am. <laughs> we do not think of ourselves as old, but our body reminds us every day. But here's the deal they have been tested, and their testimony and their testing has now become their testimony. Oh, few, and my days have not been good, but I'll tell you what. God took me through them. Their lives may have been messy, but those messes have become their message. The faithfulness of God. In 1 John two thirteen, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. The depth of someone who's walked with God for years and years and years is so rich a heritage, so rich a reward. It's called family. And so verse 11, Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. So Joseph now is going about to take care of his father, but then his whole family. That's family. The best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. So he had this relationship with Pharaoh that was a tremendous relationship. And Pharaoh respected Joseph, and now the benefit of Joseph's relationship with the most powerful man in the whole world is now the heritage of his family. Joseph provided for his father and his brothers and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. You get to chapter 47 and verse 13. There was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe. So there's no bread. Then their money fails. They don't have any money. They run out of money. And so then they go, to, go again to Joseph, and they sell themselves as slaves to him, and they give up their land. So now their land's gone. They're living in cities. Notice verse 18. When that year it ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and the land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Here's my thoughts Who is with you when things get severe? That's family. who is with you when there is no bread? that's family. who is with you when your money fails? that's family. who's with you when you've lost everything? It's family. it's so over verse 20 Joseph Joseph said to the people, indeed, I have, brought, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, verse 24, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth a tax to Pharaoh, four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households and of, as food for your little ones, your family. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Verse 26, and Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one fifth except for the land of the priests only which did not become Pharaoh's. This is a little, well, I thought, who will pay your taxes? I'll tell you, if someone will pay them, that's family. Family. You need to latch on to them. <laughs> pay my, I, I mean, that's really family for someone to pay your taxes. Okay. Now, while you're, who are you walking with? You can be family too. Family stays when things get severe, family sustains when there is no bread, family succeeds when money fails. Family is there. Family remains when everything else is lost. I've said it often over the last few years. When it's all said and done, what do you have? It's family. It's family. I was never close to my family. Not that I was antagonistic, with. I just wasn't for whatever reason. Very individual, probably a little more rebellious than I should have been. But I'll tell you what my mom and dad were always there, always. And I've come to realize in the latter years of my life, when it's all said and done, you have family. They'll be there when things get severe, or they've been there as things got severe. They're there when money fails. They're there when everything's lost. They are there and will be readily. That's family. So verse 27, so Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So he got to spend 17 years. I tell you, they went like that. That's how it happens. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place, the promised land. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. And I think he just worshiped God. See, his heart was settled in knowing the future rests in God's promises. He was settled in that. He wanted to make sure he was passing that on to his son. And how critical is that? We're seeing more and more how important it is to hand down the heritage, to hand down the history, to hand down those things that we believe are essential to healthy community and a healthy nation. See, God's ways are not our ways. Life is what happens while we make other plans. Have you found that? I'd like to change that a little bit. God is what happens while we make other plans. God's ways with Abraham were uniquely Abraham. God's ways with Isaac were uniquely Isaac. God's ways with Jacob were uniquely Jacob, and we're seeing now in Joseph that God's ways with Joseph are uniquely Joseph. And pick any Bible person you want. No two stories are the same. They're all unique. God's way with you is uniquely you. God's way with me is uniquely me. That's how intimate it is to know a personal God. God's way with you and me, though unique, is family throughout. The family of the human race, the family of the human birth, and the family of the new birth. Someone said it this way, family is like the branches on a tree. We all grow in different directions, yet our roots remain as one. So well, let me bring this to a close. I am persuaded that though our culture is secular to the core and our blind, leading the blind, political and academic systems will be increasingly anti-Christian and with that anti-family, and though our nation may be on hospice, I believe That these powers, these ideologies, these false narratives, all the lying and corruption that would cause us to despair, and have for many of us, that all of these things combined are powerless against the longing of the human soul for family, for God. God is not easily erased when his image has been etched into our souls. It is in this new birth family, the redeemed of God, this community of love, these relationships where there's longevity and stability, where there's authenticity and unity where there is the love of God that shines like a beacon into the darkness of lost souls, that we may be on the verge of seeing a work of God unlike anything we could have possibly imagined. But it won't just happen magically, but God can make it happen miraculously. I am persuaded that it is the Christian culture Our Christian culture that's rooted in biblical truth, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and lived out in humble submission and simple obedience to God, that is the family against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. It's family. It's community. Now, as I was sharing some of these thoughts with Charlotte, she sure reminded me of my Genesis 38 study grace running in the background that's family yesterday I handed out a few more of George Verwer's book it's called messiology at our discipleship how many of you have never read this book they're in our, they're in our prayer room right across there take one, I think there's a good hundred of them still there George Vorwer has been through life. He's in his 70s. Is he in his 80s now? He's in his 80s. He started Operation Mobilization way back. He's seen it all. He's seen all the messes in ministry and in families and in cultures, all of them. He's seen them all. So he wrote that book, Messiology. And as Charlotte shared that with me, and then I was thinking of that, I thought, now, these are the two things, grace and Messy. That capture the essence of the reality of family. So I close with these quotes from again the Benedict option. Again, this has been a holy challenge as to how I'm living my life. I think we're all being challenged. How are we living? But more importantly, how is my life the gospel seen? God seen. I believe it's family. It's community. We are facing unprecedented times as image bearers of God in our beloved nation and in our very secular culture. The same in our pre-appointed times in the boundaries of our dwelling. In our spheres of influence as God has given them to us. Unprecedented times right now. Jesus said we are to make sure our salt stays salty and our lamps stay lit and seen. Paul said we are to do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh, man, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. I mean, I've been doing so much complaining and disputing, it's like, really? (laughs) Why? That we may be blameless and harmless, listen, Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life. So here's the quotes and they're just seeds for your thoughts and prayers and our fellowship. And these emphasis is mine. Father Basil says that in his years as a monk, he has come to have a much clearer understanding of what it means to live as the body of Christ. The community as an organic whole, united in Christ with each man committed in love to doing his own part to strengthen the whole. God has distributed his graces in such a way that we really need each other. Said the priest, certainly there's the old man within me that craves individualism but the more I live in community the more I see that you can't have it that is individualism and be faithful or fully human in his travels tending to a to monastery affairs father Martin who is its business manager see this is a great quote so grab me sees a vacancy in the faces of many people he encounters they seem so anxious so unsettled so uncertain the monk believes this is the result of loneliness isolation and the lack of deep and life-giving communal bonds and this is the, what hit me when the light in most people's faces comes from the glow of a laptop the smartphone or the television screen we are living in dark in a dark age they are missing the fundamental light meant to shine forth in a human person through social interaction love can only come from that without real contact with other human persons what's happening in our nation is exactly this isolation loneliness and it's destroying people. Why? Because God did not create us to live like that. He created us to be in fellowship and be in community and having, be able to give to each other the light of life in that sense. I better stop commenting because we'll be Listen, without real contact with other human, there is no love. We nev- we have, we've never seen a dark age like this one. Again, from page 83, editor Yuval Levin contends that religious conservatives will be better off building thriving subcultures than seizing positions of power. Why? Because in an age of increasing and unstoppable fragmentation, the common culture doesn't matter as much as it used to. Writes Levin? The center has not held in American life, so we must instead find our centers for ourselves as communities of like-minded citizens, and then build American ethic from there. Those seeking to reach Americans with an unfamiliar moral message must find them where they are, and increasingly that means traditionalists must make their case not by planting themselves at the center of society as large institutions, I love this final little phrase, but by dispersing themselves the peripheries as small outposts where this is seen. And finally, in page 98, here's how to get started with the anti-political politics of the Benedict Option. secede culturally from the mainstream. This is so practical. Turn off the television. Put the smartphones away. Read books. Play games. Make music. Feast with your neighbors. It is not enough to avoid what is bad. You must also embrace what is good. Start a church or a group within your church. And we have many groups here that are, and many of them are really center now for people's lives. That is so encouraging to me. Plant a garden. <laughs> Open a classical Christian school or join, this, or join and strengthen one that exists. Plant a garden and participate in the local farmer's market. Teach kids how to play music and start a band. Now, I don't even know if this holds true anymore. Join the volunteer fire department. That's, are they still, do they still have those? Unquote. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for the, just the ways that you work in my life and our lives. And your ways are not our ways. And you've allowed so many things in our lives that we look back and can see the work that you did because of them, because of them, not in spite of them. So Lord, I pray that you would do what you're wanting to do and give us ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart that's willing to do it. That we may see our lives become a brighter light and a saltier salt. I pray you'd lead us in paths of righteousness where this, what we're talking about here a little bit, family, is being more and more the forefront and the fortitude that we need. If anything is going to be changing in our own hearts, in our marriages, in our biological families, in the world in which we live, our spheres of influence, then it's gonna necessitate us understanding And embracing you as our God the Father. And then what you want to accomplish in our lives. Please Lord, that's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?